0: Well, good morning again. As I said earlier, my name is Ike Nicholson. I'm the senior pastor. I'm going to be preaching today from Isaiah chapter 2. So if you want to start looking that up now, you can. Uh, If you don't know where Isaiah chapter 2 is, just go to the table of contents. I'd much rather you go to the table of contents than spend all your time in Psalms acting like you know what I'm reading. So uh, Isaiah chapter 2, as you're looking for that, uh, let me just share with you. So, in the celebration of the church in the life of of the of the Church of Jesus Christ, we have this holiday coming up called Christmas. And right before Christmas is a season called Advent. And Advent is a time of preparation, of prayer, of 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 confession, of getting ourselves ready to celebrate the birth of jesus christ much like lent is before easter so advent is before christmas the problem is is that uh, hobby lobby and the mall is not cooperating with us and <clears throat> so they're already talking about christmas so by the time december rolls around you guys are ready to just get it with the birth of jesus and christmas carols and unfortunately the season of advent is a little less celebratory and a little bit more reflective and uh, the word Advent means coming. And so, as we're preparing to celebrate the first coming, the birth of Jesus, we're also focusing on the second coming, that is, as Christ's return. And I can tell you, having done this for many, many years, that doesn't seem to be a popular topic right before Christmas. So, we're accommodating a little bit. And I hate that word accommodating, but we're accommodating a little bit because I really think this stuff's important that we need to focus on what it means to be people who think about. The return of Jesus Christ. So there are other churches that are doing it this year. This is sort of the first year that churches across the country are are doing this. So we're beginning Advent, if you will, or at least to focus on these themes in November uh, so that when Christmas comes around, we can cut loose and and have a great time and get into the season. But uh, uh, the church also gives us readings from Scripture that help focus on what it means to be a people who believe and look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And one of those texts is Isaiah chapter 2. So I'm going to read from that today. <clears throat> so if you found it, let me begin reading in verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, our God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations... And shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. You thought I made that up, didn't you? And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war no more. Right from the Bible. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. <clears throat> Excuse me. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Let's pray. O Lord, we have heard your word in all of its perfection. And we pray now, O Lord... That the words that I speak would not add nor take away, but would lift up your word. For through it we are transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. Because this is Veterans Day weekend, we've seen lots of videos on social media and on television of what are really wonderful homecomings. Dads have been coming home. Moms have been coming home from Afghanistan, from the Middle East, throughout the world. Uh, they're pretty powerful stories about you know, uh, their children and, and how joyful they are, the tears that they shed. Um, my childhood was a little like that. I mean, there were times my dad worked on the road a lot, and there were times that my mother would say, you wait till your father gets home. Now, I have to tell you that uh, that reunion wasn't quite as good as the <laughs> reunion before them. There were tears, I can assure you, but they weren't tears of joy. The return of Christ is something that we're talking about over the next couple of weeks. And I just want to say at the forefront, it, for, for lots of folks, this is a really difficult subject because there was a time when the church used to you know, hammer, I mean, every preacher would hammer us. About the return of Christ, you need to get ready. You need to do this. You need to do that, and it was something that we dreaded, didn't look forward to. And then we went through a period of time where you don't really hear people talking about the return of Christ anymore. And for some reason, um, it's just kind of fallen out of, of of popularity, I suppose. People don't really talk about it. We don't think about it. We don't concern ourselves with it. But it's really important, primarily because the return of Christ is the next and final event that will happen as followers of Jesus Christ it's the next and final event that you and I should be looking forward to Christ can return now it might not be today might not be tomorrow but it could very well be today I mean as a matter of fact I may not even be able to finish this sermon don't you shout amen but a part of a, being a follower of Jesus Christ is that we look forward to that. And it's not something we thought of. It's been, a, it's been something that's a part of the church's history. As a matter of fact, the Apostles' Creed talks about this. Uh, tradition says it dates back to the apostles. That, that's probably not true. But certainly in the second and third century of the church, if you remember or can recall what it says after the phrase, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick, that is, the living and the dead. As a matter of fact, even in our Bibles, it is the promise. It is it, it, it sums up the whole Bible in the last two verses of your Bible. You can go to the very end of your Bible and read it. In Revelation, he who testifies to these things says, "Surely I am coming quickly." Amen. Even so, uh, says, the, says the Lord, says the Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Just as the Jewish people looked forward to the coming of the Messiah at the end of the Old Testament, so, is, so is, are, are we as Christians awaiting the return of Jesus Christ, the second advent. Advent means coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I know growing up as a kid, I had mixed feelings about the whole return of Christ thing. Uh, Remember, in our area of uh, where I grew up, on the eastern shore of Maryland, there was a group of churches who worked together, and they did lots of things together, things like hymn sings and fish fries. Well, actually, they didn't do fish fries. They did oyster fitter fries and crab cake fries, and frankly, in my opinion, that's a whole lot better than a nasty old fish fry. (laughs) But anyway, they worked together for those sorts of things. Then they came together, and they also did this newspaper That was always at the uh, door of the grocery store. And the name of the newspaper was Maranatha. And I would ask my mother, what kind of name is that? And my mother would say to me, well, that means Jesus is coming back soon. So uh, it'd be years later and I'd find out that Maranatha actually is an Aramaic word, uh, the language that Jesus would have spoken. And Maranatha literally means our Lord is coming. Now, as a young teenager, every time I'd go out the grocery store and I'd see an issue of Maranatha at the door, I'd pick it up because I'd want to look through it and see if there was any news on Jesus coming back. Well, what was normally in the paper was the next hymn sing and the next fish fry or oyster fritter fry. All of this was sort of uh, even more poignant to me because we had one of them good old-fashioned preachers, you know, he would always say, if the Lord comes back today, And sees the magazines and books you have on your coffee table, will he be pleased? Now, I didn't feel so bad because I figured we were pretty safe because we didn't have coffee tables in our house. So I knew that wasn't something that was going to be an issue. But even though it seemed to me to be a good idea that this Jesus who loved me, or so said my Sunday school teacher, I wanted to make sure that I had everything set up. Was I missing anything? How should I be thinking about the return of Christ? Even as a teenager, I was thinking about that. What does this mean, and why is it important? And Isaiah chapter 2 will help us consider some of those things. Isaiah chapter 2 today will help you and I to think whether or not we have everything in order. The text begins, On the mountain of the Lord, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. Now, you, whenever you see the word mountain in the Bible, you need to pause and pay attention. Mountains are really, really important in the Bible. It was on a mountain that, Jesus, that, that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It was on a mountain of transfiguration where Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples saw the full revelation of who Jesus is. That is, as Jesus is the Son of God as well as God the Son. But what mountain is Isaiah specifically talking about? This is a photograph of that mountain. It may look familiar to you. This is the mountain that is referenced in the Bible and that Isaiah is drawing our attention to. Now, it's had lots of other names throughout history. Sometimes it's been called Mount Zion, Other times it's been called Mount Moriah. That's the old term, Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, this is the same mountain that Abraham took his son Isaac up onto in order to sacrifice him, if you remember that story. I remember years ago I was invited by a friend to come to his church and preach a revival. The only problem is this is his church. This is not a lie. This is true. It was Mount Moriah Christian Church. Now, my real name's Isaac. I said, I'm not coming 10 feet from your church, 10 miles from your church. Isaacs and Mount Moriah never get along very well. This is a mount upon which the temple would ultimately be built. This is the mount, the highest place in the city of Jerusalem when King David himself came upon this city of Jerusalem that at the time was inhabited by a tribe called the Jebusites and conquered this city 3,000 years ago. The word Jerusalem literally means the city of peace, Jerusalem, the city of peace. Don't you find it ironic that the city of peace has been a city of war and fighting and hatred and violence for 3,000 years? When David conquers this city and builds his palace, he tells the prophet Nathan that he wants to build a temple for God. Nathan says to him, this is a great idea, you ought to do that. But if you go back and you read in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, chapter 17, I'm sorry, First Chronicles chapter 17, the whole story of how this happened is listed there. So if you're taking notes and you want to get the background, 1 Chronicles 17, it's also mentioned in 2 Samuel, but 1 Chronicles has more details. Nathan goes home and God says to Nathan in a dream, you get back to David and you tell him he better not build a temple. And in chapter 17, verse 2, as Nathan goes back and tells David this, he says, God has said you can't build the temple. Why? Because you're a man of war. But your son shall build the temple because he'll be a man of peace. Now listen, sometimes when we read the Bible, that passage in the Bible will have more than just the first meaning. Passages in the Bible can have multiple meanings at the same time. I know it's maddening, but it's true. Because here's what happened. David's son Solomon indeed built the temple. But I wonder if what God was meaning when he spoke to Nathan wasn't Solomon who would build the temple, but the one who would build the temple not made with hands, the temple of God's people, the true son of David, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ said to the religious leaders when he was teaching throughout Jerusalem. He said, tear that temple down, and in three days I'll build it again. Referring to the temple of his body. Referring to the temple of me and you as God's people. For we are the new temple, the people of God, God's temple, the temple that would be built on that great mountain. You see, this, as Isaiah's is prophesying, is about me and you. It's about us. It's about the church. What's going to happen on this temple? Well, Isaiah says, that he may teach us his ways. I'm always intrigued at how the one consistent benefit to God's people is that we will be taught. And the one charge that is consistently given to us as God's people, is that we should teach. And the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, you know it well, Christ tells his church what he expects of us, and he charges us, he commissions us with this, go, therefore, into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to observe all that I have commanded you. It's for me one of the greatest responsibilities of the church. It's for me one of the greatest things that we as Christians receive by being a part of the church, to ensure that we are being taught and to ensure that we are teaching. Someone asked me recently a couple of questions. One of them said, what would you hope that folks on the outside in the neighborhoods and around, would say about South Suburban Christian Church? What would you hope that they would say about this congregation? Somebody else asked me, not in the wake of that, what would you hope that people would say about you as Pastor Ike? Now, that second one's easier for me to answer because what I hope that folks will say about me is that I'm a teacher of the things that Jesus has taught. Nothing more, nothing less. That this congregation would be a place where believers are discipled into the fullness of the image of Jesus Christ. What else will happen? Isaiah says that we will walk in his paths. You know, the Christian life is actually about following Jesus. It's about a journey. To so live our lives that the world can see Jesus in everything we do and in everything we say. And so seasons like this in the church and focusing on scriptures like this in the church are good things because they help us to periodically check in with ourselves. Can people that we connect with every day, can our family, can our co-workers, can our neighbors truly see Jesus in the way we relate to them? Are we relating to others as Christ would relate to them? Following Jesus can be a daunting task. That's a hard charge. I struggle with it every day. When I was a kid growing up, we lived near a forest called the Pocomoke Forest. Through this forest is a river called the Pocomoke River. It is, no one knows this, but it's the deepest river in the world for its width, and I grew up just less than a mile from it. The Pocomoke Forest. Uh, actually spans two counties, and it is a, a significantly dark and dense forest. Uh, it's not the place that we really were supposed to go and play. It was considered dangerous, uh, lots of marshiness, and, and there was even quicksand in the Pokemoke Forest, so kids had to be careful. And uh, we were told as kids, don't go play in the Pocomoke Forest by yourself. Kids go into the Pokemoke Forest and are never seen from again. And this is the kind of stuff we grew up with. And it it was dark. It was daunting. There were gross stories about it. There was ghouls and goblins. But it was really the only forest you could go hunting in. And so my dad and I always went hunting and hiking in the Pocomoke Forest. Now, that didn't mean that the forest wasn't any less scary. But I wasn't afraid anymore. Why? Because my dad was with me. And I knew that as long as my dad was with me, I'd get home safe. You see, that's what the Bible means when the psalmist says... Yea, though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You see, the Bible doesn't say we won't walk through valleys of the shadow of death. The Bible doesn't say that there won't be troubled times in our life. But what the Bible promises, what God promises, is that there's no reason for us to fear. Why? Because the psalmist says, Thou art with me. Isaiah then begins to change a little bit as we're reading through Isaiah chapter 2. And he begins to tell us of one of the effects of meeting the Messiah on the mountain. That will be taught. That will walk in his paths. And there's another result that will happen. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. That is, is that those things that were created by us for destructive purposes will be refabricated by God to be implements of agriculture. That is, we invent things to take life. God takes that and makes it something that gives life. This image of a sword being beaten into a plow has uh, really kind of made its way to be commonplace in our contemporary culture. As a matter of fact, if you go to New York City, on the grounds of the United Nations, there's this statue. It's entitled sword beaten into a plowshare. The irony of it is, is that it was sculpted by a Soviet artist. Hmm. Irony everywhere. That is, is that there will come a day when peace will be the norm. That's what it means when Jesus comes back. My dad was an army veteran having served in Korea. He didn't talk much about those experiences. He told me a few stories, but not very many. He did tell me about the day that he uh, joined the army, sort of. He received a letter in the mail, like a lot of young men did back during Korea, that said that he would probably be drafted, but that if he enlisted, instead of being drafted, he could choose the service of his choice. If he waited to be uh, drafted, they, the United States government choose for him. So he decided he would enlist, and so he went to the the big auditorium where all the uh, military uh, services were and went up to the Air Force recruiter and said, I'd like to join the Air Force. And so Dad did all the paperwork, joined the Air Force, got sworn in. And soon after, the Army recruiter came over to the Air Force recruiter and said, I'm five guys short on my numbers. So the Air Force recruiter said, you, 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 and you, you're in the Army now. And my dad was one of the yous. Now, needless to say, he wasn't really happy about that. But I remember one day when I was in school, in high school, the teacher was uh, telling us about all of the horrible things about the United States. It's getting even worse today, I think, in our contemporary culture. And as a young teenager, I remember the teacher saying that the military was nothing but a bunch of warmongering people who just wanted to kill and destroy. I went home and I asked dad about that, knowing that he had served in the military. Now, my dad was a pretty passionate, quick-tempered kind of guy, so I'm really stunned and stupefied that he handled that so calmly. But I'll never forget it. As long as I live, I'll never forget how he reclined in his chair, looked at me and said, Son, if anyone dreams of, if anyone longs for peace, it is a soldier who has lived through combat. Some of you have lived on the field of battle. Some of you have been on a literal field of battle in our own military. And some of you have been in fields of battle where you've held broken people in your arms, where you have watched evil, where you've heard the reports of the echoes of gunfire in our schools. We have seen how human beings can treat other human beings in this world. But Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, all that will end instantly. There will be peace forever. Now, before we go on, let's pause for just a moment and reflect on what Isaiah has said so far about the return of Christ. This is the kind, just as a hint, this is the stuff I want you to remember the rest of the week, okay? The rest of the stuff afterwards you can forget, sort of. But I really want you to remember this. First of all, that the return of Christ is a promise, not a threat. <laughs> That's my number one thing. Celebrating the return of Christ is not a threat. It's a promise, a good promise. Second, that his return on a mountain, on the, on the mountain, is the reality of him being brought into relationship with his people, an occasion for worship. Third, that we'll be taught. Fourth, that we will walk in his path. And fifth, war will end forever. Now, for the humble believer of Jesus Christ, for I hope all of us in this room, this is a gift. We're excited about this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, this is a day of great reunion. But is there something to fear? Well, I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't tell you that there are bad things as well, things that will remind us of the brokenness perhaps within our own life. The first thing Isaiah says is is that human pride will cease, that the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Now, Now that sounds wonderful unless you know somebody, or you or I are somebody who struggles with pride, because Isaiah says, pride will come to an end. That means that those of us who are prideful are in for a rude awakening. Pride comes before the fall, and that what we've always heard? Do you know that that comes from the Bible? From Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. I love it when I get the chance to tell Western culture how much they're influenced by Holy Scripture. But even the non-believer, even the person who scorns the Bible, they all know the truth of that text. That's an eternal truth. If our faith is in a politician, if our faith is in a political system, if our faith is in an economic system, If our security is grounded in our own success, our own wealth, our own power, our own position, and it's not grounded in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, it's going to be a difficult day. Even those of us who stubbornly hold on to our ideas of perceived self-reliance, even those folks will exalt the Lord, the Bible says. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 echoes this. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah continues and he says we will cast away our idols of silver and gold. Now I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that none of you have any idols of Baal or Asherah or Molech in your homes. You may not even have a golden idol that you put fruit in front of on Monday and then take rotted fruit back away from it on Friday. But there are those of us who may have made silver and gold our idol. Now, I'm not sure what good our investment accounts are. I'm not sure what good our bank accounts or our cars and our homes are on the day Jesus comes back. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, it records that when Jesus comes, he's bringing with him the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, here's the image. Jesus said when he was resurrected and just before he ascended that he would come back for us that he was going to go build mansions for us before he was crucified. And here you've spent all this time building your own mansion. And when Jesus returns, bringing with him the new city and that mansion, you're going to look at that and you're going to say, well, that's a heck of a lot better than what I built. And Isaiah knew that too. That's why he said that you would take all of those things and do what? Cast them down. Because they don't mean anything. Utterly and completely unimportant, worthless. So as Isaiah ends here in chapter 2, he ends with this verse. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Can Can I ask you a question? I'm going to anyway. Why is it that we judge ourselves based on what we think other people think of us? Why is it that we constantly see ourselves or try to look at ourselves based on how we think other people are looking at us rather than how God looks at us? Other people are not loved more than you. Now that's a hard lesson. We see how good everyone else seems to have it and we want the same life. We see how People are wealthy on television. We see how powerful people act and what they get away with, and we think, man, that'd be good to have. If I could be just like them, life would be awesome. That's not true. And you and I know that that's not true. But it's good to be reminded of it every once in a while. God doesn't love anyone else more than God loves you. Now, some of you are looking at the person next to you thinking, yeah, God doesn't love you as much as God loves me let me help you with this. So I'm a dad and I have a son, an oldest son, and then two daughters, middle daughter and a youngest daughter. And when my son was born, I told him ever since he was a baby, the same thing that my dad said to me, you're my number one son. You're my number one son. You're my number one son. That's all he's ever heard from me. Now that he's older, he's 10 years old now, and I still say to him, son, you're my favorite son. He always rolls his eyes. Dad, I'm your only son. (laughs) And then God, in God's infinite wisdom, chose to give us a daughter. At this point, I'm cool with it because just like Isaac, my son is my number one son. Anna, my now oldest daughter, is what? My number one daughter, right? The doctor said that we would never have any other children, that it would be impossible for us to have other children. So it's really their fault Because three years later, here comes Eleanor. And now I got two daughters. And Anna says to me, Am I still your number one daughter? And isn't it interesting how the middle child or the oldest daughter always likes to ask Daddy that question while Eleanor is standing right there too? (laughs) Daddy... Is Eleanor your number two daughter? (laughs) I'll remember that day because I sat down on the bed and I pulled Anna over next to me. And then I grabbed Ellie and pulled her next to me. And I said, honey, God has given a great gift to mommies and daddies. God allows us to love both of you as our number one daughters. You are God's number one son. You are God's number one daughter. And if you don't believe me, you wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Merciful God, we look forward to the day when Jesus will come again unto his own. It's going to be a great day. We're not going to be afraid. We're going to be expecting good and great things. So Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Dispel all fear, for we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.